morning. What's up with the what's up? I am your host, The Coach, and welcome to another season and Believe in the Business of Fitness. And in today's episode, I bring to you Sabrina Joe. Sabrina is the former Senior Director of Science and Research at the American Council of Exercise, also known as ACE Fitness. Sabrina is a health behavior and change expert who received her PhD in psychology of health and physical activity from the University of Kansas. Rock chalk, baby. Sabrina's professional journey began in Long Beach, California, where she ran a Gold's Gym and began contracting with Ace Fitness to help create their educational material. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you have gone through Ace's program like I have in the past, more than likely she oversaw the creation of our material, so we owe her a big thank you. In today's episode, we discuss what is the best route to take for your business, the future of fitness professionals, and the difference between personal training and health coaching. I'm excited about all the episodes that we do, but I am in particular excited about this one. Uh, you have a true expert in all senses of the word uh, today in Sabrina. She's going to give you a lot of high-level insight, not only what it's like to run a business, but how to make those critical decisions that often are overlooked when deciding if you should even be in business in the first place or if you even want to get involved in this profession at all. Uh, you really are up for a treat. I know I say it pretty much every episode, but that's why I like what we do. With that said, let's roll it. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Sabrina, uh, so glad that you decided to come on. Um, I can't tell you how, how forward I am to look into this conversation. Uh, before we get started, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself out there to all our guests and give them a little background about yourself. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me on today. Um, I'm Sabrina Joe, and I am a uh, a fitness exercise professional, um, as well as a health coach, and also a um, a doctor of exercise psychology. I want to emphasize that last part, everyone. A doctor now, <laughs> officially. Uh, you just finished up your PhD at uh, KU over in Lawrence, correct? I did. I did. It was a long time coming, but um, yeah, just a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone who's listened to this show over the years, you know, I have a real keen eye and, you know, appreciation for those in education. And especially if you decide to go the doctor route, because you quite honestly, you don't run into a lot of those in our profession. So when you do, it's it's pretty impressive. Well, I appreciate that. It 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 took me a little longer than I wanted. Um, after, you know, being in the, the fitness business for, oh, over 30 years, um, I'm finally just now getting my PhD, but um, it was well worth it. Yes, and we're actually going to talk about that later on. Uh, so before we dive too deep into the, to the real details, uh, Sabrina, why don't you go ahead and let's, uh, let's fill everybody in a little bit. Um, I'm always curious to ask all our guests this. Um, how did you how did you really get involved in fitness from like an early age? Because I know like myself, um, I was always playing a ton of sports as a kid, football, basketball, track, not baseball. Uh, game was just too slow for me. Everybody knows how I feel about that. Uh, so I'm just curious, um, <laughs> from an early childhood perspective, I mean, how did you really get involved in fitness? Mm. Well, I think like so many other things that we become involved with when we're young, we have a person in our lives who models a behavior or who who does something that we find interesting and we want to kind of imitate that. And so I had way back when I was um, very young, I had an aunt who would um, teach back then it was called aerobics. <laughs> and um, 
it, it was it was actually is honestly before even aerobics was a term because it was kind of in the um, the Jane Fonda type of exercise era, and I just remember being uh, fascinated by the the body suits and the leg warmers and the music and that you are exercising to it all. So anyway, that was kind of my first exposure to exercise um, in a group setting. And that kind of drew me in. I used to go to classes where she would teach in the basement of a corporate building in a, a small town here in Kansas. And that just kind of sparked my interest in the whole exercise game. And so I uh, continued on with my interest in that. In high school, I started teaching group fitness, and it was aerobics back then. Um, and then when I graduated high school, I discovered that I could get a degree in exercise science. So I did that, um, uh, a bachelor's in that, and then a master's in the same field, kinesiology, biomechanics. Um, and so it, it's really since, since I was uh, first able to work, I've always done some type of fitness. I, uh, I'm, my fiance is going to hate me for this, but people hate how much I reference Jane Fonda because when you think about the early, early days of fitness, unless you've studied it like Pete McCall did or someone, you think of Jane Fonda, you think of uh, Richard Simmons, you think of yeah. all those workout tapes in those infomercials, late night infomercials where people are working out to re into group music and the leg warmers. I mean, obviously that was before my time, but that's when most people consider the real start of fitness uh, before you start jumping into like the Gold's gyms and the, the, the muscle beach type areas out in California before they really started going. Um, mm -hmm. So no, that's, that's a very interesting perspective. Cause so you've seen the fitness industry change from an infant to this uh, moody teenager. Like I like to consider it right <laughs> now. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I've, I've seen some interesting things. Um, and at the same time, the more things change, the more they stay the same, really. Well, speaking of change, so, you know, obviously you got into it very early on, um, you know, influenced by family members from the corporate basement days, which I want I want to give a shout out to because um, even though it wasn't a corporate basement, that's how I got my start as well in Dallas, uh, working in the corporate golf courses and corporate training facilities. But so you decided to go to college. You went ahead. You got your degree after college. After then, you then moved to California where you started your career. Can you give us a little bit of insight of what you did out there? Yeah. Yeah. So I um, after I finished my master's, I that same month, I think just the week after I packed up my car, everything I owned that would fit, I drove out to California. Um, I stayed with a friend who was previously at KU, got her degree and moved out there. So I had a buddy to live with for a while and I just wanted to see what I could um, find in the fitness space because I wasn't thinking that Kansas was the hotbed of fitness activity. So I kind of wanted to be on a coast and I chose California. So I got out there and um, lots of interesting experiences um, in that time. So that was like the late 90s, early 2000s, and fitness was huge. I mean, these were the days of the Fitness America competitions and bodybuilding and um, just it just seemed to be at the top of everyone's minds. So 
Uh, my first job actually was a staff trainer at 24 Hour Fitness out there. Um, then I kind of moved into a corporate fitness position um, in Torrance, California, of all places. And then um, after that, I started managing the the um, the personal training and group fitness departments in Gold's Gym in Long Beach. Um, and then I also started teaching at Cal State Long Beach as a full-time faculty um, in their kinesiology department. So that was kind of my experience with California while doing all of that stuff. Um, I was also personal training and, and teaching group fitness kind of, kind of like a, on the side as well. You know, I can really appreciate your perspective of moving out to the coast, um, being a fellow native of Kansas myself, uh, Wichita, um, uh -huh. friends I'm with the KU <laughs> as well. Uh, yeah, it's a big change. Um, unfortunately yeah. a lot hasn't changed when I think of back home where you really have to cram fitness down a lot of people's throats. I am glad to say the younger generation, you do not have to do that as much with, um, you do have, kind of have to be careful about where they're getting their information from, but people just seem to be a lot more health focused out here on the West. Um, you know, with me being in Phoenix right now, um, you know, it's, it's definitely more on top of mind. So when you first moved out there, was there a bit of a shock in the attitudes when it came to fitness or were you or was it kind of more of a something you just didn't notice at all? Mm. Well, um, I think it, it was a bit of a shock because I lived in a coastal beach town and those cities along the beach tend to be more um, skin focused. <laughs> like everybody was out on the beach, out on the strand, wearing, you know, just as, as minimal as possible, just soaking up the sun and, and doing all the California stuff that you might expect. Um, but then when you got a little bit inland into different types of cities that weren't beach towns, honestly, I was surprised at how much of the population was just like back home. Um, and, and so, I really think probably like anywhere, it depends on your very specific zip code or location um, wherein you live uh, to, you know, what, what kind of uh, activities or um, things to do and, and probably cost of living too plays a big part of it, what types of people are um, living in specific areas. So it was a shock. Honestly, the biggest shock to me was the the number of people and how close they live to each other um, because coming from Kansas yeah, and I'm sure indeed. you can appreciate this. I was used to having a yard and grass uh, and that just didn't happen that, the whole time I lived in California. Well, <laughs> you, well, if you want grass, that's a million dollars right off the bat. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and that was back then. <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to look at it now. I just, I literally <laughs> was looking at gas prices uh, before, because I'm heading out to play some ball here with one of my friends here later in this evening, and I know it's already getting close to six, and it's just, it's just making me sad. Uh, but you know, mm -hmm. it, I like your perspective when you talk about um, zip code, where you're from, habits that you're already involved in. I'm hearing a lot of social determinants of health uh, coming through. Um, for our listeners out there who aren't familiar with social determinants of health, uh, there will be an article written up about it here pretty soon. Uh, we'll be sure to put it here in the link. But 
it's amazing how how much money you make, where do you live, your access to healthy options, how much that plays a role in your ability to one not only get fit but stay fit. So when you started managing the staffs over at Gold's Gym, um, just curious, were you in more of an affluent area? Were you kind of in a in between, or were you more situated in the city? You know, just kind of give our listeners a little bit of what you had to work with. Yeah, I was. Um pretty much downtown Long Beach. Um, so a good mix of people, I would say a, a really interesting mix of people. Um, and the people who would have memberships and come into Gold's Gym on a regular basis, I would say were more affluent than others. And, you know, ha- had the the mindset of, oh, well, exercise, lifting weights, very specifically, uh, is just a lifestyle behavior that that I own. Like it's just part of my life. And as we know, that's kind of a small segment of the population, period. So when you're working in a place like Gold's Gym, you tend to work with people who have already drunk the Kool-Aid, so to speak. They're they're in there because they they already value the benefits of that type of, of exercise and movement. Well, true. So from a business standpoint, I mean, let's let's talk about this. You're you're teaching classes over at uh, Long uh, Cal State, right at Long Beach, correct? Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. So you're you're teach you're a full time instructor. Uh, I'm imagining you're teaching, you know, three courses plus office hours and grading. Is that about right? Yeah, that's about right. Okay, you're managing a personal training staff plus your clients. That's a lot on your plate. It is. And you were at, you don't have to tell our listeners how old you are, but I'm assuming early 20s, really just getting your feet on the ground in a new area. How did you, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, agree. I I was probably late 20s at that point. Yeah. How did you manage to balance all these different areas of business? Um and still find time for yourself? Mm. I probably didn't very well. (laughs) Um, But one thing that I've always, um, it's it's probably just my biological rhythms, but I've always been a person who wakes up very early um, and tends to go to sleep pretty early. And so uh, I'm just, I just wasn't, all that tempted by the nightlife, um, if that's even a word anymore, but (laughs) uh, there were plenty of opportunities for me to be um, social and I just didn't take them because I'd rather just actually be in bed getting rest. So I I would say that the, the biggest thing that I did for myself was keep a consistent wake up and sleep time, which probably meant I missed out on some social opportunities. Um, but that was probably my biggest form of self-care because that, yeah, you're right. That schedule was pretty grueling. And the reason I brought that up is because, uh, I admittedly am terrible at making time for myself. The, the only time I have for myself is well, Friday afternoons, uh, just, and I had to schedule it. And I always find it fascinating because a lot of business owners that have actual spaces or even really successful virtual spaces. I noticed that's what we tend to struggle with the most. So mm. you just gave me an idea for a future uh, for a future show as well. 
but I, I want to get back on topic here. So you're doing all these things and then you actually got involved with ACE early on in the process before they became this, this behemoth that we know it of today. Can you explain to our listeners how you got involved in ACE in the early days? Yeah. Yeah. So ACE or the American Council on Exercise is a certifying organization um, that certifies personal trainers, group fitness instructors and health coaches. I'm sure your listeners probably already know that. And I, um, when I was teaching at Cal State Long Beach, um, I, I've always been certified, first of all, backing up, I've always been certified through ACE, um, that they've been kind of my, my one and only certification, the exercise and fitness space. Um, and be, and because I was in their, um, records of having been certified, they reached out to me because I was in the Southern California area. They're, they're based out of San Diego. Um, but I was, uh, about an hour and a half North up in Long Beach and, they reached out to people who were in their um, certification database who also taught um, in academic institutions in the areas of kinesiology. And so they were starting this live um, course workshop program where different um, workshops will be held across the country and they needed instructors to build the curricula and then go out and actually teach. And so. They contacted me. It was just, you know, I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And I also happened to enjoy, um, you know, that live teaching experience. And so that's kind of how I got my foot in the door um, and started teaching some of their earliest personal trainer preparation and practical skills courses. So back then when you were, you know, developing the initial coursework, doing the initial trainings, did you imagine that ACE would grow to the size and influence that it has today? Oh, wow. You know, part of me did um, because I've always respected and enjoyed being a part of that organization. Um, but it is pretty cool and amazing to think that they have over, you know, 90 plus thousand certified professionals around the world. Um, and back then, I'm not. I'm not sure that was an awareness for me. So yeah, it's pretty cool to think that they've grown. Um, and it's um, it's also an interesting organization because they're nonprofit. Uh, so a lot of you know what they they take in, they give back out into the community um, in terms of either you know programs or resources or even research um, supporting. Uh, research studies in university laboratories. So that's, that was always something very interesting to me about ACE as well. Right. And for our listeners out there, as mentioned in the intro, uh, you know, Sabrina is the former senior director of science and research over at ACE, um, you know, very, very illustrious title there. Um, so talking about research and development over there, if you, if, if you can't answer this, I completely understand, by the way, if you could put a number on it, how much time do you think you spent doing research at ACE over the last five years in developing new curriculum? Because, and the reason why I ask that question is because uh, being certified through ACE, I'm always interested in the new trainings that you put out and how they're so timely, um, especially, especially the new health coaching program that came available this year. Um, it's, it just seems to always seem to come out right on time. 
Uh, but if you don't mind answering that, and if you can, I completely understand. Mm, well, so research, okay, so I think there are probably two different categories that I can address. So the first, when we talk about research and development, a lot of times that means you're talking about kind of the, the business aspect and the marketing um, and, and kind of what the consumer wants and needs at the time. And ACE has a, a pretty savvy uh, product development team that are on top of that. My role on the research side of things was more on the science related topics. And so um, my role had a lot to do with making sure that the, the content in our materials were sound and evidence-based, um, but also I kind of managed the um, the university labs that would do some of the research um, that we would support. And so in terms of keeping it timely, it was interesting because the universities that wanted to do the research and be and you know get support from ACE to do some of their studies had students, young people who were kind of really there in the fitness business themselves experiencing what it was like and and Kind of asking these same kinds of questions themselves and wanting to know the answers and so if I, if i without being hopefully too general um hopefully i answered that in that we ace ace listens a lot to the consumer and, and in our case the consumer is the either the personal trainer the group fitness instructor or the health coach and tries to understand what they need um, so that we can provide the content that they need at that time no, that makes perfect sense. And um, honestly, that that actually tracks because um, like the health coaching certification I was just talking about, the health coaching route is blossoming. I mean, it's it's already blossomed, but it's really gaining a lot of traction now, I've noticed. Um, mm -hmm. And so and I don't think that's a coincidence. And I believe Ace did the right thing by offering some type of edu formal education around it. Um, speaking of education, uh, finishing up your PhD, that's a that is a route that not a lot of people voluntarily sign up for unless they want to become a full-blown tenure professor, but you had other aspirations. Um, where do you think your love of education really stems from? Mm. I just think I just want to know more and probably a little bit of imposter syndrome mixed in there. <laughs> I always, uh, feel like um, even though I'm learning more and more as I continue to live life and experience life, I always feel like I just don't know enough. Um, and and honestly, I that, that really is the number one driver for me. And so I know that people are just built differently and they have their different strengths. And one of my strengths, I really think, is just the pursuit of learning. Uh, so that probably makes me unique in that respect. A lot of successful businesses, even outside the fitness industry, um, talk about being a lifelong learner. Um, Amazon's pet. Well, I can't say they patent it, but they like to call it curiosity. Um, mm. They're always looking for people who are curious of how things are, how things work or why they work and how to make them better. And I can actually see pieces of that. Um, just not only looking over your story, but even the brief conversations we've had. So the one aspect of this that I think a lot of our listeners are really going to be interested in, for most of them, 
you know, you know, knock on wood, and I'm going to generalize it a little bit. For most of them, you've achieved a lot of success. A lot of people would love to have had the positions that you've had, but you walked away from it to focus and finish your PhD. What? How did you know it was time to do it? Hmm. Ah, oh, it's a great question. Well, I knew it was time to do it um, when. I had one final semester left, which really involved really the nitty gritty of getting down and writing the dissertation and defending it. Um, and I knew that if I really wanted to do it and get it done in a timely fashion, like not drag this out for 10 years, I just needed to focus on that and that alone. And to be fair to myself so I could finish on time, but also to be fair to ACE, um, I just couldn't see myself doing both things at the same time. Um, and so when I, when I left ACE, I enrolled in my final semester of my PhD program. Um, I was fortunate, you know, this wasn't planned. I was just kind of fortunate enough to receive a graduate teaching assistantship for that semester. There just happened to be one available. Um, and it allowed me to teach undergraduate courses in community public health, um, while I completed my dissertation. Um, and so things just tended to work out, but I have to say I was terrified. It wasn't something that, um, I really was certain that was, was going to work out. Um, but it did. Well, that's excellent. I did not know that you actually taught, uh, I didn't actually know that you actually taught, uh, public health. Are you familiar with Dr. Ellerbeck or Dr. Uh, uh, Vicki Colliakers over there? Ah, no, I don't think so. I was, I was in the um, Department of Health, Exercise, and Sports Science, and we have our own little, uh, well, I don't know if it's a department, but it's like a, a grouping of classes related to, to public health. So that's kind of where I was focused. I was under the direction of Dr. Susan Harvey and Dr. Mary Fry, if you've heard of those names. Mm, I, I have heard of Fry, yes. Uh, yeah, it, it's amazing how our, how all our departments are, the way they're split and which I shouldn't even say ours. Cause technically I'm, I'm at the medical center and you're at, uh, just KU, uh, for our listeners yep. out there, what does that really mean on paper a lot, but really, uh, <laughs> <not> <laughs> it's too, all KU, <laughs> right? Essentially. Yeah. Well, that is, that, that's fascinating. So now that you're done with your PhD, um, You've already achieved a lot. You've already, you know, operated fit, um, fitness facilities for other uh, organizations. You also had a background in operating your own kind of clientele and studio, I believe. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I, I would say for the last, mm, yeah, as long as I've been involved in fitness, I've always had maintained a client or two at the very least, sometimes more, sometimes more of like, I would, I would probably call it a halftime book of business, but, um, of the recent, the past couple of years, um, I haven't just because I've been so busy, but up until then, yeah, I've, I've pretty much always been an independent contractor, um, having a, a few clients here and there. Right. And I really want to ask, um, did you ever at one point in time decide that you needed your own space uh, to operate out of? The one time, well, first of all, the short answer is no. Uh, and <laughs> the 
slightly longer answer is the only time I ever accepted clients into a stable space was in my home um, because I was able to kind of partition off my basement and it was big enough to allow clients to come over one by one and train in my home. So I kind of had my own facility there, but I never uh, pursued uh, a studio or a space other than that. Um, I just didn't feel comfortable with the overhead. And also I didn't feel comfortable knowing that I kind of really flourish when I do multiple things instead of just one thing. And I knew that uh, if I was going to commit to a studio, I need to really just commit to doing that one thing. I'm so glad you said it because I, I actually am the same way. Maybe it's a Kansan thing. But I run into a <laughs> lot of experienced professionals who say, I can't wait to get my own space. I can't wait to to get my own gym going. And I've been offered numerous times, like, man, I could use somebody like you. And I've always turned them down. And this is why I say this. Uh, you, everyone knows I came from Genesis Health Clubs over out the Midwest. <laughs> that's slowly engulfing everything, it seems like. I know what it takes to run a physical space. You're, you're there 24-7. Uh, you're, you're there, you're, you're not only the, uh, the class operator, you're not only the accountant, you're not only the check-in desk, you're the janitor, you're the therapist, you are, you are everything for that facility. And if you are not there, yes, you can find someone to run it, but good luck finding someone that cares about it as much as you do. It's incredibly difficult. So the fact that you knew off the bat that that overhead was not one, wasn't, your ideal setup and two that you flourish doing multiple things. I think that speaks a lot to about your, your personal journey and the work that you did on yourself. When did you realize that? I mean, if you've ever flirted with the idea or not, did you kind of know early on that no, a gym space wasn't for me or did you, or did, is it something that just kind of just came up over time and you just kept pushing it off? I think I knew pretty early on that that just wasn't for me because I had worked in enough gyms um, to see and know the owners and see how difficult what it was for them. And the, the, the commitment, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, everything you just said, so true. Um, and you, you really have to pour your, especially in the beginning, just pour everything you have, every ounce of energy, all of your time into that that business to make it flourish. And so I just knew that I had a more, my strength was more dealing with the education and science and translating that education and science to help clients or, you know, public as a whole um, and it wasn't going to be well used if I owned one studio um, and, at which I poured all my resources into, if that makes any sense. No, it does. And this is, and this is one reason I was excited to talk to you because a lot of people that get into this business, one, they, they do it because they want to help people. I truthfully believe that. Mm -hmm. um, there aren't a lot of, I mean, knock on wood, I guarantee someone out there is going to leave a comment. There really aren't a lot of wealthy trainers out there, but mm -hmm. don't, don't believe what Instagram tells you. You're right. <laughs> a lot of these, a lot of these people are not banking six figures year after year, after year, after year. It's just, 
it's incredibly difficult to do. Um, so, but there are other ways to generate income and run a business. Um, and it sounds like you've definitely found your niche. So now you have your PhD, you, you, you're, you're officially maxed out on school unless you want to go back and start another, <laughs> start another round. No, I am done taking tests. No more. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't say no more because you are interested in becoming a, uh, a health coach. Is that correct? Yes. That's funny be because, uh, dang it. Yeah, you caught me. <laughs> there are more tests in my future. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we can all blame Amazon for that one too. There's a test for everything now. Uh, but what what really sparked um, the the transition from traditional training into health coaching? <clears throat> ah, well, so one thing that started to happen early in my career is that when I would train clients. I would realize that all my education in exercise science and kinesiology uh, was, was great and wonderful, but the client didn't care <laughs> about that. And the thing that seemed to help my clients uh, gain traction on their goals and, and actually be successful was the relationship that I was building with them and how I would, uh, you know, coach is a very, I think, overused term right now, but how I would coach them along um, in their process to be living in a, such a way that helped them reach their goals the other 23 hours a day that they weren't with me. So, I started to realize that there, there are strategies or skills that I could develop to help clients outside of the gym that were just as important, if not more, as the time we spent in the gym. And that's when I probably, without even before it was even a thing, before health coaching was a thing, started to realize that that motivation, the client motivation was something that needed to be tapped into for people to be successful. And so when... Ace um, started, uh, it was actually, it was something else before it was like a lifestyle and weight management consultant certification, which transitioned over into their health coach. And when that became available, I took that health coaching certification exam because the preparation materials for that really honed in on some of the skills that are you know, that I use widely today, like, for example, motivational interviewing, understanding a person's readiness to change. So all the stuff that goes into motivation alongside the exercise programming piece, um, that has really kind of made me, made me want to do that shift more towards health coaching. So trainer to trainer to trainer, trainer to coach here. I a hundred percent hear you. Uh, a lot of people within my inner circle over the last year, they've noticed that I've started making that switch as well. And it's for those same reasons. Uh, and just, just to give a very quick story. I got frustrated because I would have clients that when they're with me, they're, they're, they're rolling. It's just, it's about as smooth as it can get. And then when they're <laughs> not with me, the only thing I would hear is I'm just, I just don't have that motivation or I don't, you know, I just don't know what I'm doing here. And then I would find myself and I might've, you know, foreshadowed this a little bit earlier, but we essentially, we are essentially their therapists as well too, 
because so much of what happens outside the gym gets in the way that it can actually hinder progress. And I just got tired of feeling limited in what I could do. And that's when I decided that, you know what, I'm going to start looking at some health coaching um, aspects so I can make a bigger change Uh, because especially for the athletes, the athletes, I didn't have to beg them to do anything, but the ones who are done playing or the parents of them or someone who would just come to me from the general public, those are the ones who in particular needed that extra motivational interviewing or those other lifestyle habits that we, that needed to be coached up. So I guess my question to you is <laughs> when we talk about health coaching here, I have a prediction that health coaching will become the new norm. I don't personally think that personal training will be as prominent as it is now in the next five years. I think essentially every gym will have just health coaches. Would you agree mm-hmm. with that or would you disagree? I, and I love, and if you do feel free, I want to, I want to hear it. Mm. You said some really great things in there and I want to touch on a couple of things. First, first thing is that uh, you mentioned the word therapist and obviously therapy and counseling, psychological counseling is outside the scope of practice of personal trainers or exercise professionals. Uh, that's what the beauty of health coaching is, is that we can learn skills that anyone, you don't have to be a therapist or a clinical practitioner to be able to help your clients. You can use these skills and they are uh, based on human motivation and behavior change. And that's the beautiful thing about it. Um, And so to kind of answer your question, yes, I do think that health coaching is here. It's here to stay and we're going to see a lot more of it. And I also think it's one of the ways that the fitness industry can start to gain a little bit of more credibility with um, with the medical establishment in that if we understand the factors that influence a person's motivation in their, their health and lifestyle, we have a huge potential for impacting that and in turn helping those individuals have better health so that when they show up to those doctor's appointments, their biometrics look better and the doctors don't have to, you know, um, spend as much of their time on the things that frankly, they don't have time to do, like trying to coach people through lifestyle change, for example. So I do think there's going to be more health coaches and health clubs. I have a prediction um, because if you, and this is just obviously entirely my own opinion, I know that, you know, the pure true form um, of health coaching means that you are, you are a non-expert and you are partnering with people and collaborating and guiding and you're just asking questions and you're helping them determine on their own the choices that they need to be made to help them live the best lives. And then there's this expert side of being an exercise professional, working in a gym, understanding exercise programming and understanding how different bodies respond differently to different programs. So I think we're going to see this kind of hybrid approach a hybrid professional in gyms where they've got a strong health coaching background and they've got a strong kinesiology background and when those two things come together and they are presented in in a way where the coaching happens as you're 
partnering with and collaborating with your client and then the expertise of the exercise piece comes in because you're in a gym setting and you're there amongst the exercise equipment and the programs. I think that is what's going to really kind of be that burgeoning hybrid professional. So hopefully I answered your question. I don't know if I did. Well, no, I mean, you, you did. And if you had to put a title on it, because we're Americans, we have to put titles on everything or it doesn't exist. What <laughs> what would you call that profession then? Oh, Hmm. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's just called the Sabrina Joe profession. That's what it's called. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go out and get my Sabrina Joe this weekend. Oh, where, how was it? How was the test? That's pretty difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, it is definitely my own opinion. So for sure. No, actually, I love it, though, <laughs> because. I mean, initially, I, that's what's happening, though you're getting a lot of high-end you know physical trainers who need better i'm going to choose my words carefully here <laughs> you know better i date a therapist so i hear it all day already they need better skills to to communicate and connect with their clients and to keep yeah. them motivated outside the gym and whether that's counseling or however they want to go about it that's that's what's happening and that's what's going to continue to happen uh so yeah uh, so before I transition over here to my to my uh, my conclusion questions, I, I didn't want to ask what what would you tell someone or that was interested in getting a start in this profession here in the next six months that was debating between becoming a, a trainer, a health coach or a nutritionist? What would you tell them like, hey, if I could go back to being your age and starting over, I would focus on answering these questions to guide my decision. Um, what what would you tell them? Mm. Well, first I would say, treat the whole dang thing like an experiment and experiment with different settings and different clients to find your strengths and preferences. Um, I'll give you an example. When I was in, when I was getting my master's at KU, um, I had a professor who asked if I wanted to teach a group fitness class for retired professors emeritus from KU. And would I lead, the, I mean, the average age of these individuals was 80, I think. And, you know, it, it was going to pay me a little extra money and it would give me more experience. And I really didn't know if I wanted to, um, but I said, sure, I tried it. Absolutely loved it. Turns out uh, training older adults it's kind of become my passion. I ended up doing my PhD in exercise motivation for older adults. So that one experience that I experimented with that I wasn't quite sure I even wanted to do way back when kind of really shaped my intentions for the rest of my career. Um, so don't be afraid to try things. Um, I would also say learn from your failures and move on. There were a lot of things that I tried that I didn't like also. Um, I won't go into those, but just be, be willing to experiment, fail, get what you need from it and move on. Um, and then once you do find what you like, your strengths and your preferences, be unapologetically you and embrace them uh, and just and don't look back. I mean, do what feels right for you. 
one of the reasons why I never opened up the studio. One of the reasons why I just kind of listened to that voice saying, there are other ways to go about this. Um, and I just needed to figure it out. Um, the next thing I would say is find opportunities to be on the other side of training, meaning mm. learn a new modality, hire your own trainer to train you or barter with a fellow exercise pro to trade training experiences, but be the person who's learning something from someone else every once in a while because it's a great reminder of what it's like to be on the other side of that relationship so that you can have empathy and understanding for your clients as they're going through what they're going through. And then the last thing I would say is the relationships that you develop with your clients will determine their success and yours, quite frankly. And it's, it, it's not the specific type of programming that you choose because as we know, all types of movement, all types of training programs will yield results, but it's what you bring to that relationship. You're the important other person in that relationship and your influence goes a long way toward the positive experiences of your clients and, and frankly, their motivation to keep wanting to do it. So focus on the relationships. That I'm going to be honest with you. That is a one advice right there. Uh, all the way around. I can't, tell you, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I go to someone else's yoga class or animal flow class. I've been a lot in the animal flow lately. Big shout out to Nathan. Love Collerman it. Down Love there. it. Uh, big changes for me. Um, front squats yep. over back squats. We can argue about it all day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But those things said right there will dictate so much. And I, I just want to add on to that last one. The the way that I got my clientele start when I actually moved back to Wichita, there were there was a trainer in the gym, and I'm not gonna name names. They they just they were burnt out. And you could tell. And one client mm -hmm. of theirs came over to me, hit a home run, then another client came over, then they brought someone else. Before I even realized it, but before I even realized it, my my entire week was full based mm. on the experience that I provided. And so that's yeah. the way I always like to um, phrase that. The experience that you create for your clients, because after a certain point, I mean, to a degree, we all know the same movements and mechanics and we can generate results with a certain amount of time. But how do you make them feel? That's going to dictate a lot, of, a lot of your success. Yep. All right. So uh, moving on from, you know, early career trainers, what, what are two things that you would tell aspiring business owners in this fitness space? Because we've talked a lot about, you know, you can have a physical space, you can have a virtual space, uh, you could be kind, I don't want to say jack of all trades, but you could be uh, the type of person who has their hands in a few different pots like we do. Uh, but what are two things that you would tell them uh, for those who are aspiring to own their own space or their own business space in this industry? Mm. Well, go back and re-listen to steps one through five <laughs> that we just talked about. And then when you've kind of um, figured out your strengths and your preferences and, and, and you've kind of identified that kind of client that, that you really connect with and you feel like you can help the most, I, I hate to use the word niche, but we can say that if we want. Um, 
once you figure that out, learn what your clients want and then experiment with flexible offers. Because I think what a lot of new business people experience is they, they draft up their content, their materials, their packages, their intake forms, and they're like, this is it, this is my business. And then they're afraid to be flexible. Sometimes the person doesn't want a 60 minute session. Sometimes they want to see you for 30 minutes. Sometimes the person doesn't want resistance training. They want uh, flexibility. They want to understand cardio basics. Sometimes they just want help with healthy eating. So I would just say that once you kind of drill down what kind of client that you feel best working with, be flexible enough to ask them what they really need from you and then provide it. I mean, provided that it's still, you know, you can still charge what you need to make it worth your time. Um, and then the second thing I would say is figure out the kind of technology that you're most comfortable with and run with it. We're not going to escape technology. It's here to stay. Um, it can be an amazing part of your business experience if you if you really feel comfortable with something and then try to layer it in or offer it maybe it's a hybrid option for your for your businesses top notch top notch last question i got for you today sabrina i always like to ask <laughs> every guest this before they leave it's my state of the industry question where we really focus on what is your opinion on the current state of the health and wellness or health and fitness industry? Um, everyone kind of knows how I feel already, but I'd like to know from your perspective, especially being someone who's worked at such a influencing level and who's coming back into a new transition. I, I believe you're going to have a really interesting perspective. Hmm. Well, okay. So I'll start with the good news. <laughs> uh, people bought a lot of exercise equipment during the pandemic. And so home gyms could provide trainers more opportunities to train in the home or even virtually because people have access to a lot more just in their own spaces. Uh, I think there's other good news in that people are interested in returning to the gym and exercising among others as these restrictions have lifted because they want more variety. They want to be with other people. They want programs and equipment they just can't get at home and i and i think that is happening um so that the gyms that are that are that made it and that are still around they're offering some great options and being more flexible with their programming and, and services but i'm going to finish with the bad news unfortunately and that is that those people who bought the exercise equipment and who are returning to the gyms are the same people who have committed to exercise as an important lifestyle behavior in the first place. Uh, we still aren't seeing more of the population becoming more physically active. And the people that we need to reach the most, those who are inactive, are still inactive. And I just don't think that we've come very far in addressing that problem. So in a nutshell, the industry is recovering, bouncing back, it'll do fine. Uh, and those people who are participating and engaging in it now are, you know, already value that as a lifestyle choice. 
I'd love to see more outreach and more things that we can do for people who who haven't realized those benefits of acti act physical activity yet. And Sabrina, I'm going to apologize. I lied to you because you, you, you sparked another question for me and you're actually <laughs> someone who can who can actually give me some insight and probably some other high level uh, trainers as well. I continually tell my clients that work, you know, I said, you know, with bias, cause I work at a desk job too. Um, hypocritically, I should say you have <laughs> to move more throughout the day. And I'm just talking in pure weight loss here to promote more weight loss. Cause a lot, we know a lot of our country is obese, especially children, which is very alarming. You have to move around more. How and I and I've gone over the the whole genetics of it, you know, the whole the hormones that are turned off when you're when you sit down for long periods of time that, that the ones that burn our fat and all the whole night. I've gone through that. But what is your what is it? What's kind of your go to statement when you have to tell people to get more active if you have one? Mm. Well, I like to draw on the evidence and there's been some really interesting and intriguing evidence showing that certain biomarkers like uh, blood lipids and um, blood pressure, uh, triglycerides, things like that are positively affected if every 60 minutes throughout your day, you stand up and move for at least five minutes. And so when I'm coaching people on that concept set, you know, if, it, if that's what it means, set an alarm. If you're a person who is at a desk most of the day, getting up at least once every hour to stand up and do something for five minutes that, that requires standing, whether it's walking around the block, walking up the next level of stairs, um, standing up and you know filing papers, but you're just standing, that is for for someone who is very inactive that actually is enough to move the needle on the health biomarkers so and i practice that myself because you know i'm i do structured exercise but also i do a lot of computer work and i never sit for longer than an hour at one time so that's kind of where i start i start with every hour do something for five minutes that that is getting you up on your feet. Excellent. I love it. Um, well, unfortunately that's all the time we have today, but Sabrina, uh, before we let you go, is there, is there anything else that you have coming up on your radar right now that our guests could probably, uh, tune in to view you, or do you have any links or, uh, anything that you want to leave for our guests that aren't included in the show notes? Uh, well, yes, if you, if you want to follow me, I'm probably most active on Instagram uh, at Sabrina Joe, um, and there's something that I do on Saturdays called uh, Ace Science Saturday. It's a little project that I still do with Ace, and I basically take a research study and I break it down and I talk really fast for 60 seconds because that's all instagram will let me <laughs> and then i create a little infographic that goes with it so it's a uh, hashtag ace science saturday you can find that on instagram and um it's also on aces main account but i i just like to break down 
very recent research studies in practical ways that trainers and coaches can use with their clients immediately. So maybe check that out. And we will put a link to the newest one in the show notes just for you all. Uh, Sabrina, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, you've created a lot of great insight for our listeners and hopefully inspired some some trainers to take that next level and maybe some business owners to think about, hmm, maybe I need to pivot a little bit. But overall, thank you for your time today and we appreciate having you on. Wonderful. It was great. Thanks, Ian. Just like any other profession, um, our industry is no different. You have to learn to adapt in order to stay sustainable and profitable. I hope you learned something today by listening to Sabrina talk because she did touch on several key things that I wanna recap, uh, or really two. One, continuing education. You have to stay on top of what's going on in the industry and keep your skills sharp. Things are changing at a rapid rate. We are finding out new things about the body and the mind all the time. And if you wanna stay viable, you would do well to make sure you're staying tuned in to critical resources like a science Saturday. I mean, she gives you a complete breakdown of recent research in a quick one minute video that you can tune into every week. Wonderful. The second thing that I wanted to tap into flexibility. You cannot be stuck in your ways and expect it to work. If this is a red flag for anything in life. If you ever go to someone and ask them, why do we do something? And they tell you it's because we've always done it this way. You should run because that's not a real answer. That's just something that they read in a manual somewhere or that someone told them that they're repeating to you. You have to be flexible, continue to learn, adapt with the changes. Before I close out this episode, I want to give a big thank you to our guest, Sabrina Joe, our past guest, uh, Everyone from Earn Your Booze, Nathan Collerman, Artemis Cantalides, Breezy, uh, the other Brianna as well. There's so many guests. I can't possibly thank you all right now, but thank you. I want to give a special thank you to all our listeners out there, not only in the Valley, but around the world. Your continuing viewership and your ability to comment, ask questions, and share gives us the possibility to keep the show going. We love you and we appreciate you for it. Make sure you drop us a comment. And... Also, shocking, I am now on Twitter, so feel free to throw out a quick tweet. I'll be sure to reply to you. Find me on Instagram. Find me on Snapchat. Uh, I have a TikTok, too. I don't know what I'm going to post on there yet, but uh, I don't know. I'll find my, I'll find a cousin of mine or a neighbor to give you a cute little dance or something. I'm not doing that. But until then, stay cool. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.